For Pacifica Radio, August 17th, 2023, I'm Scott Horton. This is Anti-War Radio. All right, y'all, welcome to the show. It is Anti-War Radio. I'm your host, Scott Horton. I'm the editorial director of antiwar.com and author of the book Enough Already, Time to End the War on Terrorism. You can find my full interview archive, not quite 6,000 of them now, going back to 2003 at scotthorton.org, at youtube.com slash scotthortonshow and all the other video sites and stuff like that. And you can follow me on Twitter, if you dare, at scotthortonshow. All right, introducing Brad Pierce. He writes a great blog over at Substack called The Wayward Rabbler and uh, has a couple of really great pieces about what's been going on in West Africa and the Sahel lately. Welcome to the show, Brad. How are you doing, sir? Oh, I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me on. Uh, Very happy to have you here. So tell us what is going on in West Africa and the Sahel and why is it all John McCain and Hillary Clinton and Joe Biden and David Petraeus' fault? Well, you are completely correct about that, though. Let's not forget the amount of blame that Nicholas Sarkozy holds for this as well. Oh, yeah. Uh, And David Cameron, for that matter. And I left out Obama. I don't know why, but he's the leader of the pack there. Yeah, that was actually really was directed out of Hillary Clinton's State Department. He was kind of just along for the ride. But of course, the buck stops with the president, as they say. Um, Anyway... This specific situation, you know, it's long been a troubled region and had a really bad uh, post-colonial era and everything else like that. But this specific situation goes back to when they overthrew Gaddafi, as you were obviously referencing. He had been employing a lot of Tuaregs, which is a nomadic Arab tribe um, from Niger and northern Mali, Uh, in his security forces, and when Gaddafi was overthrown, they looted his armory and returned home, at which point they started new rebellions there. So that was in around 2012, uh, with everything else going on in the world, such as the war in Syria. Um, Basically, a bunch of Islamists swept into the conflict zone, uh, the Islamic State in uh, West Africa, and yeah, Al-Qaeda in the Greater Sahara, I believe, are what they call those regional branches. And so then in, I believe, 2014, the French entered the country under what was called, entered Mali under what was called Operation Barkhane in order to fight terrorism there. And also various other groups were there, including uh, the neighboring country of Chad, what doesn't technically neighbor Mali. Anyway, Chad had its own intervention and ECOWAS, which will come up later, also deployed troops there. So there was this large war against terrorists in Mali, and it initially went well, as these things do, and then it, it went very poorly. And so over 10 years, well, eight years of extreme violence in the region, it has eventually undermined the civil governments that were backed by the West, and the security problems led to a series of coups, starting in Guinea, which is technically not a Sahel country, but it's in West Africa. And since then, the broader region has been rocked by them. Uh, I believe six countries have been under coup governments. Something that's interesting to note is there's a pattern of double coups in this region. So four of these countries had a coup, and then they placed a transitional government, and then either the same people who did the first coup or different people overthrew the coup government and then didn't even make a pretense of being in a transitional government. So as this was going on, 
uh, U.S. and France became increasingly reliant on Niger, which was the remaining civil government in the region. The U.S. built the largest, world's largest drone base there, the Agadez drone base that at a very expensive price tag, it hosts uh, over a thousand soldiers. It's a pretty nice place. You can see reviews of the uh, food at the mess hall on Google, though there are people trolling. Regardless, it's big. You can look it up on Google Maps easily. And so they were increasingly reliant on Niger. And then finally, Niger had its own coup. And they don't really know how to handle this because they've already tolerated the coup regimes in all the other countries. So, you know, they're always hypocritical, but they, they don't really know how to move forward because they've been moving their troops out of Mali and Burkina Faso into Niger and just became increasingly reliant on this very poor and weak country. All right. Now, um, it's anti-war radio. I'm talking with Brad Pierce about all this great writing recently about what's going on with these coups in Africa. And if you guys want a review of especially the earlier part of the story that he's telling there, uh, I cover a lot of that in Enough Already. And that's not an advertisement. There are free versions of the book online. You can get it, I think, on the Pirate Bay and even Google Books if you just want to search the Molly chapter in there. So that's not an advertisement, but I'm just saying if you want to know about the consequences of the Libya war and, you know, more detail about the the story he was just telling about how it spread into West Africa and the Sahel in the form of the terror war and now all these military hunters and all of that, uh, that's in there. But so I think a big part of that, right, is in the name of fighting the jihadists that the Libya war spread to West Africa first, I guess, and into further into the Sahel, further east of there later. Um, they trained up all these soldiers and all these military forces to now fight the jihadists that they had set loose. And then it's these American-trained colonels or captains or whoever, generals, who end up doing the coups. Now, I guess my cookie cutter says that, well, if it's an American-trained military guy that does a coup, then it's probably because that's what Washington wanted. But you're saying, no, it doesn't look like that. Here, yeah, a it's... lot of people um, were led to that conclusion, which is what I would have assumed if I hadn't been following the region so closely. And yeah, I'm like sure the same old saw... school of the Americas narrative, right? That, yeah, hmm. I'm sure you saw in March that Matt Gates did an excellent interview, um, interrogation, I should say, of General Langley, the AFRICOM commander, uh, going over this. And, and he also kind of implied the same thing and didn't make it clear that these people are going against U.S. interests. So, I mean, basically, they're losing control of their pawns is what's going on because they're flagrantly irresponsible basically right and so all right now this is difficult i know everybody's bad at geography and me too and especially now when you're talking about where's benin and the ivory coast and in which order all these little countries here burkina faso and sierra leone and where this might be very difficult for people to get their head around there but um you know, as you said, it all really starts with Mali, which is this huge Texas-sized country there in the Western Sahara and Sahel, where the the war first spread from Libya, and yeah, then and from there, they're like, listeners. oh, sorry, yeah, I'm sorry, they just share borders with all these different countries, so it just spread from there into from the rest, right? Yeah, if it helps general listeners locate this, um, Timbuktu is in northern Mali, and that was taken over by jihadists. So that's kind of the only famous city that a normal listener might actually have an idea where it is. Right. And which is funny because Timbuktu mostly is just a cliche for as far as you can get from anywhere. And yeah. I think probably most Americans assume it's not even a real place. You know what I mean? It sounds like some place in a Disney movie or something, but... <laughs> 
yeah, that's my ancient city well. there. Um, all right, so now let's talk about the um, the consequences of the coup. There, you write in the article that here this is a democratically elected government of Niger, quote unquote, to whatever degree, and here it's been overthrown by its own military force, or at least what it's like the palace guard, but the military staying out of it and endorses it, and then. You say it's pretty clear that the public is in support of this, huh? Yeah, I mean, it's that's what it would appear, though. You know, you have to realize when they go around on the street trying to do a poll of public support, you know, the people might be concerned that they're just looking for dissidents to beat yeah. up or that sort of thing. So, you know, there's plenty of reasons to be quiet about a, a junta regime that is locking up opponents. But at the very least, we've seen a lot of demonstrations of widespread support. I would certainly say it's fair to say that they're more popular than President Bola Tinubu of Nigeria, who was elected with 36 percent in a highly contested election with high levels of fraud. Mm -hmm. And well, what about their predecessors here, though, that was elected in Niger? Uh, he won with 55% of the vote, though his opponent claimed that, you know, in one district, he 103% of eligible voters voted and 99% of them voted for him. Oops. So it's hard to say. Yeah. Well, we know how those things go. Um, like uh, America's favored president of Egypt. He gets 97% of the vote, and that's perfectly legit. Everybody knows that. Yeah, just well, depends it's the, on who you know, it's the on. facade they care about the most. Yeah, exactly right. All right, it's Anti-War Radio. I'm talking with Brad Pierce from The Wayward Rabbler about his great articles about what's going on in um, Niger right now. So um, before we talk about the threats, first of all, tell us, what is ECOWAS? Uh, ECOWAS is the Economic Community of West African States. So basically the way that works is that the African Union is separated into different regional blocks because, you know, Africa is absolutely enormous and is a ton of countries. So that is just the one that covers West Africa. And it's mostly is designed for economic integration of the region, though there also is a military component. They did deploy troops to the Malian War. They also in the past have... Uh, kind of either prevented coups or overthrown them. But like, for example, the last time they did this was in the Gambia after the president refused to leave when he lost an election that was considered fair by outside observers. And, you know, the difference is that uh, the Gambia is literally a river valley surrounded by Senegal. So it's quite a bit easier. And, you know, it has like two million people. So it's quite a bit easier to bring in troops and demand that he withdraw or, you know, leave office than it is to go into an enormous country like Niger. Uh, but yeah, so basically it's just a regional power block there. And it's currently led by Bola Tinubu of Nigeria. Mm -hmm. And now, I mean, importantly, I don't know what the census is on the jihadists there, but so much of this land is just wilderness out there in the Lake Chad region and all of this where you have these jihadis fighting. At the very least, they'll provide an excuse for American and other Western intervention there from now on. Yeah, I mean, I actually learned how to do a radius on Google Maps to see uh, how far a Predator drone could go from the Agadez Air Force Base because, you know, they have a range of like 750 miles. And it is a pretty big region, and most of it is very barren Sahara. But, you know, like terrorists in Africa are quite a bit different from how we imagine them. They're essentially, you know, desert bandits. They don't really 
set bombs in cities, they kind of show up on motorcycles and massacre villages and that sort of thing. So it, it's kind of different from what we think of. They're almost like pre-modern raiders or that sort of thing. Yeah. Well, which is just fine because then SOCOM, from their point of view, they get to have fun chasing the consequences of their last disaster and keep going. So Yeah, I mean, the thing to remember is that everyone in this region, when they were working together, had basically zero impact on defeating these people. So if there's like a, a regional war, you can only imagine that the jihadists are going to expand like crazy while everyone's fighting each other. Yeah. And now, I'm sorry, because uh, I, I switched back to the jihadists, but I meant to follow that train about the, uh, that train of thought about the um, Nigerians and ECOWAS threatening some sort of regime change against Niger here, but they had issued a deadline that's already come and gone and nobody's really got the heart to follow through. Right. Uh, yeah. They keep meeting again and then say, they keep saying it's the last resort, but it's clear that the, the junta government's not leaving and they don't really have any meaningful leverage over them. And meanwhile, there are people in the U S military that are like, no, you know, we actually know these coup leaders they are not really anti-Western. They're just anti-French. We, we can really work with them. So, uh -huh. I mean, I the only sensible thing in terms of pursuing, you know, existing U.S. policy is to just give them a waiver, which they're legally allowed to do. And the thing is, they already did that in Chad, which is a military government. It's just a French-aligned military government. Mm -hmm. So there's really no good excuse not to. But, you know, we're led by hypocritical idiots. So, yeah. Sorry. Hang on just one second. Hey, y'all. Scott Horton here for Tennessee Hot Sauce Company. Man, this stuff is so good. They get all different flavors. Garlic habanero, honey habanero, pineapple habanero, poblano jalapeno, and the blood orange ghost. They're all so good, I swear. And for a limited time, Tennessee Hot Sauce Company is featuring official Scott Horton Hotter Than the Sun thermonuclear hot sauce. It's full of Carolina Reapers, Scorpion Peppers, Dr. Pepper, hydrogen isotopes, and all kinds of things that'll burn your tongue clean off. Seriously, it's really good. Get yourself a hot sauce subscription. Spend $40 or more and use promo code SCOTT to get a free bottle of Hotter Than The Sun hot sauce. That's tnhotsauceco.com. Hey, y'all got to check out these awesome busts of our hero, the great Ron Paul. They're made by the renowned sculptor Rick Casali. They're 13 inches tall, hand-painted bronze resin based on Casali's brilliant original. Y'all may have seen mine in the background on my bookshelf in some recent interviews. The thing is unbelievable. Check out this incredible piece of art at rickcasali.com slash ronpaul, and you'll see what I mean. Use promo code Horton, and you'll save 25 bucks, and this show will get a little kickback, too. That's rickcasali.com slash ronpaul. Casali is C-A-S-A-L-I, rickcasali.com slash ronpaul. And there's free shipping, too. Well, so what happened when they sent Robert Kagan's wife over there? Uh, that's actually kind of funny. They wouldn't let her meet with either the Shiani, the head of the coup government, nor Bazoom, the deposed president. They just, I don't know, met with her a couple of hours and then sent her on her way. So I don't I don't think they cared much about what Vicky Newland had to say. That's good. Or bad for them. Yeah, good for she, them, right? Yeah, I mean, she might call in the forces of darkness just out of personal pique, knowing her. But I guess you're saying that the new regime is trying to make it clear that we only hate the French, but not you. We can get along and we're not just, you know, 
turning uh, to the they're, Russians they're not now. Making it clear, apologists for them within the U.S. military structure I are see. trying to say that. I see. Well, in other words, they're not giving up the contest for influence over the new government to Russia yet. Yeah, exactly. And how much of a threat is that really about the Russian involvement there? Well, you know, I would say that this is kind of one of those things where it only matters because they're playing the game. You know, like Niger is a relatively small percent of the world's uranium supply, but it does produce the highest grade of it. And then like it has some gold. But the jihadists in the region don't really threaten the outside world. Uh, so, I mean, there's some humanitarian concerns. You know, they don't actually care about that. But really, it's just that they are playing this game and doing a really bad job, and it's making them look like a bunch of idiots. So they, they kind of need some way to... Uh, and then they don't want to give up this drone base. So they kind of need some way to salvage the policy where they come out of it not looking awful and, you know, not fleeing like they did in Afghanistan or that sort of thing. But overall, if they, if they chose to not play, it doesn't really matter if uh, Russia and Wagner want this to be their problem as far as things go. Right. So give us a good briefing on Wagner's role up until recently here. Okay, so for one thing, we need to be clear that they're uh, a pretty shady group and that the people that talk to them about all sorts or, you know, say all sorts of things about them lie all the time. So their presence is not that well confirmed in any countries in the region besides the Central African Republic. Uh, I'm really I'm really skeptical of some of the stuff that they say about what Wagner's doing in Mali. But um, Nick Terse, who is one of the best journalists writing about this, I assume you know him well. Uh, yeah. He he reviewed a Human Rights Watch thing on Wagner's presence in Mali, and he seemed to find it credible, even though I would usually be quite skeptical of that group. So as far as in actual Niger, though, no credible person is claiming that Russia or Wagner is involved in, in the coup happening, though it's believed that Wagner has traveled to Naomi, the capital of Niger, to help them defend themselves in the case of an ECOWAS uh, intervention, as they would call it. So really, they're just creating a situation that, that gives Russia and Wagner an opening when all they have to do is instead recognize reality and that the junta government's not leaving. Mm. Now, so, I mean, it seems like that must be overblown by all the critics, especially now after Prigozhin's sort of failed half a putsch against the military command in Russia. Uh, although I guess maybe Putin could just send him to Africa to keep him out of his hair, what's left of it. Well, yeah, there's a lot of speculation about that because uh, if you look at this, you know, like the general problems with using mercenaries, it was actually really unwise for Putin to rely on Prigozhin as much as he did in a vital security interest like Ukraine. But lending them out where they're the problem of like African governments is an entirely different thing and actually is a cheap way to kind of buy security influence while it's really profitable for, for Prigozhin because he can get paid from gold mines and stuff like that. So their presence in Africa is overblown, but they are known to be in some countries and, you know, allegedly they're in like a training role or that sort of thing. 
But it, it's frustrating because, you know, the U.S. relies on private military contractors for all sorts of things. And there was even an article in Foreign Policy a while ago where a guy was talking about how dangerous Wagner's transactional approach was. And when you looked at what he did, he just worked for a Western military contractor that had been active in Iraq and Afghanistan and everything else. And it's like, this is just a competitor, like saying that, he, explaining why his competitor shouldn't be hired. And you don't even put a notice that he has a financial interest in this. Right. So it's, it's really just hypocrisy. Yeah, it sounds like Sirius and XM criticizing each other when we all know they're going to be a merger and have Blackwater and uh, Wagner working together, Eric Prince and, and Prigozhin. You know, yeah, I'm sure they've already been on vacation together a couple times by now. <laughs> Haven't quite signed the deal yet. Oh, probably. No, nah, that'd be a lot of fun, though. All right, so, um, well, let's talk about the French Empire in Africa, which is sort of the background to all of this. They lost their empire after the World War, but then I think he's saying here they the French have used violent military force in north, sort of West Africa, uh, the Sahara, the Sahel region, 50 times since the end of the official colonial era. Is that right? Yeah, on the African continent as a whole, and that is as of 2015, someone brought that up in France's parliament is the main source people use on that. Uh -huh. But yeah, and they've been there more since then. But yeah, they've been all over the region. I actually just had an article published about this in the cradle um, about how France never stopped looting Africa, but they have a high degree of control in terms of uh, economic control of all the ports of controlling even like the water infrastructure in most countries until recently. You know, they run a lot of the mines. They have this CFA franc colonial currency that they're kind of transitioning away from that. But mm -hmm. I, I called it it's like the geopolitical equivalent of your father insisting on managing your retirement account while not listing you in his will. <laughs> um, it, so it's really, you know, the, the, the British, like there are plenty of problems with their empire and they're very violent, but they did actually build great infrastructure projects. So like they can claim they were trying to develop these countries, whereas France intentionally kept these countries underdeveloped. For example, Niger and Chad have never had railroads. I am at a loss for how France even got colonial administrators to these countries. You know, they must have sent them 2000 miles on camel. It's insane. Uh, so, you know, France really kept these countries underdeveloped and has an enormous amount of economic control. In Mali, they just canceled a treaty um, against double taxation from 1965 that basically meant all French businesses operating in Mali only paid taxes in France. And so Mali just canceled that. But yeah, it's a big... They have a whole lot of ways that they control this continent, but it's fading. And, you know, the main reason is that France doesn't have a coherent internal narrative for what they're doing in Africa. And you, you have to have a reason behind imperial projects like this or else it just doesn't make any sense. So like their their own attitude towards it has kind of doomed them, but they still have this deep seated paternalistic view where they see it as their responsibility. So they're, they can't quite quit Africa. Yeah. Well, plus. It's just all those resources to steal. <laughs> I was reminded of that old clip of Ike Eisenhower talking about Vietnam, where he's saying, geez, if we lose Vietnam, we'll have to pay the market price for tungsten. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> it's it, exactly like that. Yeah, you pointed out here that whoever's in charge of Mali, the uranium will be for sale on the global market. It's not quite a liquid like oil, but same difference. It's all fungible on a global market, and there's only so much demand for international uranium supplies anyway. 
Yeah, I mean, and this is true of everything. They always pull this card, but like, do you think anyone doesn't want Americans to buy oil from them? It's the world's largest consumer market. If they would just behave like reasonable people and not interfere in the internal affairs of states, it would be fine. Uh, I mean, and this has been pointed out by much wiser men than anyone who governs us. For example, Montesquieu, the political theorist, said that it's always unwise to try to impose your laws on anyone you're trying to bring into an empire because you can, you know, as long as people obey the government, it's all the same. Like, they can keep them in line however they want, and they'll still sell you all their resources. It's, it's fine. Yeah, and no matter who's in charge, I mean, even Osama bin Laden had told Abdel Bari Atwan in 1997 that... It's oil. What am I going to do? Drink it? Of course it's going to be for sale. I'm just going to not let you dictate the price and amount of production. <laughs> you know, that was it. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, it's just a mercantilist mindset they can't get out of. Yeah, exactly right. All right. Well, it's anti-war radio. I'm Scott Horton. I'm talking with Brad Pierce from the Wayward Rabbler website. That's the waywardrabbler.com. He's got all these great articles about what's going on in Africa. And he's got some pieces here about what's going on in West Africa and the Sahel. The last domino falls in the Sahel and rumors of war in West Africa. So um, I guess that's where we'll finish up here, Brad. What's your prognosis for the current situation? Is the whole thing going to, you know, boil over into a giant catastrophe or is everything gonna start settling down now because it's just too far away and too hard to do anything about it okay so overall africa is at a very pivotal moment it's uh the youngest world's youngest continent it is a rapidly growing population in a rapidly changing world but I'm overall optimistic. They have a young generation that's enthusiastic and hardworking and is outside of a post-colonial mindset. Uh, as far as the U.S. policy in the region, though, I mean, it's basically turned to ashes in their mouths. Everything they've done is a failure. And, you know, they're spending half their time going around lecturing Africans about gay people, which is very unpopular on the continent. And I really think that their only good option is to just give Niger a waiver and salvage what they can of the policy because they're not going to want to give up that drone base. But really, the only way they can avoid losing this game right now is to not play, and that's what would be better for everyone. But we're led by extremely unwise and hubristic people, so I would imagine that they double down and cause all sorts of problems that continue to spread here and there for basically the rest of our lives. At least that's been the experience of the first 35 years of my life. So Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny, man, um, from time to time, especially I think in the case of Africa, you've had military and, and different, I guess, civilian officials also admit that this is all about China. You know, you can see maps of like, here's where China has built infrastructure all across Africa. And here's a map of where America's built military infrastructure all across Africa. And it's the same picture, right? I and mean, this is what America is doing there. Instead of kidnapping people and making them work for free and just occupying their countries to try to monopolize their resources, if for no other reason than to just keep them out of the hands of the Chinese. And it ain't even working anyway. Yeah, and that's it's, no it's way to make friends. Failure. No, it's a, a good way to make people hate you and to alienate them, though. Yeah, it's completely crazy. Um, but you can see how, from the point of view, of the Special Operations Command. It's great work if you can get it, you know? It's way better than fighting people who can fight back. You embed with the local government against whichever small group of armed rebels in their country, that kind of thing. 
you know, you can do that all day, all decade. Yeah, well, it says, I think Kaylin Johnstone said the other day, something along the lines of, you know, when all you have is a massive bloated, overfunded military, then every problem seems like it calls for a massive bloated, overfunded military. Yeah, I think that's about right. She often says wise things. That's one of them. Um, All right. Well, listen, we're all out of time here, but I got to tell you how much I appreciate your time on the show today, Brad. It's been great. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. I'd love to come back sometime. All right, you guys, that is Brad Pierce. He writes The Wayward Rabbler at thewaywardrabbler.com. Check out his pieces, Rumors of War in West Africa and The Last Domino Falls in the Sahel. And that's it for Anti-War Radio for today. I'm your host, Scott Horton. Check out the archive at scotthorton.org. You can follow me on Twitter at Scott Horton Show. And I'm here every Thursday from 2.30 to 3 on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A. See you next week.